Well, thank you for the, the welcome and the opportunity to share what I believe is an exciting story. And as you've already heard, uh, it was February 2010, after the 18 years at Murrelbark, that Pam, my wife and I, took off for Broome. Actually, we thought we were coming towards our retirement uh, before we left Broome, but we put it off for a while and then had to put it off again. But not long after we started in Broome, the government opened the Curtin Immigration Detention Centre up on the Curtin Air Force Base near Derby in the Kimberley, 200 kilometres from Broome. The opportunity to visit the centre came directly from the government. When they opened the Curtin Immigration Detention Centre, officers came to Broome because it was the closest large town and asked the Broome Minister's Fraternal if we would visit the centre with the proviso of no proselytising. I've always believed that they invited us because they wanted social workers they didn't have to pay. But for me, this has been a story of how God brought the mission field to Australia to have a captivated audience every week, hungry for the gospel, is simply mind-boggling. Jesus said in John 4.35, look at the fields, they are ready for harvest. And they were. When I started visiting Curtin, I soon discovered that many of those seeking asylum and we're now talking about those refugees who arrived by boat and who came mainly via Christmas Island. Many of those refugees, I discovered, were looking for more than just freedom. Okay, that may not be all of them, but amongst those who were seeking a new life in Australia are those that Jesus described in Matthew 11 and verse 28. Are you tired? worn out, burnt out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I've met many refugees who are burnt out on religion but they are attracted to Jesus' love. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 17, no one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. Curtain for me was being in the right place at the right time to share the good news with those who want to hear it and with amazing results. And what I'd like to do today is share with you four years of amazing results because the centre closed in July 2014. When I was visiting Curtin, I had to be very careful about what I said publicly concerning my visits. Governments of both persuasions have strict rules about people who work in detention centres speaking to the media. It's instant dismissal. 
And during the time of my visits to Curtin, the media were not allowed inside the centre and as I said, those who were employed, they were not allowed to speak to the media. That made me a prime target because I was only one of three or four people who were given the freedom to come and go at will. I was given permission to go anywhere in the compound on my own. And because of my privilege, access to the centre, I often had the media chasing me for stories. And all they ever got from me was no comment. Now that the centre has closed, I can be a little bit more relaxed about what I share because they can't stop me going in now. When we first visited the centre, and I use the plural because it all started, when it all started, there were a few of the lay folk from Broome Baptist who attended with me, but they were not able to continue. The other ministers in Broome did not take up the opportunity. So when we first started, we just walked around the compound and talked to the men. Often I found myself sharing my testimony, my relationship with Jesus. It just seemed to happen naturally. They'd ask me a question. Before I knew it, I, it was an answer coming from my own life. I could see that Christianity was on trial here. These guys wanted to, to know what Christianity was about compared to other religions that they knew about. And I didn't want to give them an intellectual third person account but a demonstration of how it actually worked out in my own life. In Acts 4 and verse 13 it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's not what a person knows about Jesus that's important, but that they actually know him. And I wanted these guys to understand that the Jesus that they had heard about in the Bible was my friend now and he could be their friend too. And sometimes in answering their questions, I wondered if I was pushing the boundaries a little too far. And I'd have to say, look, I'm not supposed to tell you that unless you ask me. And so they would ask me and then I would be able to continue <laughs> and I would explain God's way of salvation. And on a few occasions the crowd grew to 50 or so men. That was a bit of a problem for the administration as, as they didn't like crowds because crowds drew attention to other clients and the officers themselves were not able to see what was going on inside the huddle. I remember thinking to myself one day when I was asked the question, why are you a Christian? Do I give them the short or the long version? I decided on the long version as they were not going anywhere soon. 
going into a detention centre was way outside my comfort zone. I have to be honest about that. But I do remember preaching on the story in the Gospels when Peter attempted to walk on water. And though it was a brief walk that required Jesus' rescue, Peter is the only one in recorded history who ever attempted such an amazing feat, even if he only lasted a few seconds. The fact is, he did it. And Peter shouldn't be criticised but admired for his outlandish act. After all, many people get to the end of their life and all that can be said of them is that they might have achieved something if they'd only attempted something. The first thing that Peter did to attempt this unrealistic act was to get out of the boat. He had to leave the security that he was totally dependent on. Okay, he didn't last long, but he did experience the wonder and the excitement of that was totally beyond his power to achieve. And he was the only one in that boat who thought about it and was willing to give it a go. And I like him. And Jesus obviously thought Peter's attempt was noteworthy and that's why it's there in three of the Gospels for us to read about. That's how I have come to think about my experience of visiting refugees in a detention centre. It was like getting out of the boat of my comfort zone and attempting something that I never thought I was capable of and Jesus kept me afloat. The real breakthrough came in the run-up to Christmas 2010 when we experienced a major movement of God's spirit within the centre. And this happened around the time of many new arrivals and some whom were already Christians and others who wanted to become Christians. For the first time we had men asking us for Bibles, Persian Bibles or Farsi. We purchased some from the Bible Society. These were discreetly discreetly given to the men who requested them by the administration. Then the administration thought about it and said, well, if there's a need for Bibles, then we should supply them. And the administration then decided that they would put them in the library, buy them, bought them in, book, in boxes of 20 and they put them next to the Koran. Now the men could have a Koran or the Bible or both. In December 2010, I received the request from some Afghan and Iranian refugees for a formal introduction to Christianity. You'll recall that I said we were invited with the proviso of no proselytising. That means don't stir up trouble for us. So what do you do when people ask you how do you become a Christian and you're not supposed to proselytise? I discussed this with the management of the centre and I was told 
that it was okay to answer their questions but that just don't preach at them. Well, that was a huge leap forward and one that I personally did not feel equipped to handle and I sought help from others who had worked with Muslims and I was given help in preparing a special talk on Christianity for people with a Muslim background. And this happened just two nights before Christmas, the 23rd of December 2010. I'll never forget this night. And this was done with the full permission of the centre. And a room was provided and about 30 men came and because of this meeting, the men requested, can we have a regular Bible study? And with the centre's permission, the next month, January 2011, a Bible study commenced. A prayer room was soon provided and the main purpose from there on for my visits was to present a weekly one-hour Bible study, 2pm every Wednesday. The men were keen to be taught from the Bible and many of them taking notes. And I would not have been able to conduct these Bible studies if it were not for certain refugees who spoke good English and who interpreted for me. And as one interpreter left, God always seemed to have another one ready. Not always Christians, but people who were sympathetic to my cause. When the centre closed in January 2014, I estimated that I had made around 160 trips to Curtin from Broome Each trip was 400 kilometres return. Visiting weekly and sometimes twice a week enabled me to get to know many of these men very well. In the early days it was not unusual for some men to remain in the centre for 12 months or more. Those whom I got to know well, I wrote letters of support to assist them in their endeavour to gain a visa. This meant sitting down, listening intently to their stories and writing them down. And sometimes I wrote letters challenging the decisions made by assessors when they refused men visas. I know some of my letters were successful because the assessors phoned me and told me that on the strength of my letter they were granting a man a visa. Over the four years the centre was open, it went through many changes. At its peak there were around 1,800 men in the centre and there were times when up to 60 men attended the Bible studies but most of the time it was around 20 to 30. And there were even times when I drove the 400 kilometres for just one man. The Curtin Immigration Detention Centre had men from several countries. Now I keep saying men because Curtin was a male-only centre. There were no women or children in this detention centre. Most of my time was spent with Afghans and Iranians. Every detention centre is supposed to have a religious and cultural liaison officer and that person's responsibility is to assist asylum seekers to have their spiritual needs met. And in Curtin, 
That meant that there was a Sunni and Shiite mosque as well as a prayer room which the Catholics and Protestants had to share. While no other ministers visited from Broome, the Catholic priest from Derby did visit and conduct Mass weekly, mainly for the Tamils. A significant number of Iranians who have come to Australia on boats have done so because they want to convert to Christianity. This is their main reason for coming. They are so keen to make the switch that they have no hesitation in going directly to the authorities and formally requesting, I'd like to convert to Christianity or I would like to be baptised. And the people who operated the detention centre did not quite know what to do with these requests. So they passed them on to me and they said, you deal with it. (laughs) And I received many emails that went something like this, John Smith, boat number, everyone was known by their boat number in Curtin, would like to convert to Christianity. Could you please see him when you're here on your next visit? And sometimes there'd be as many as six names in the one email. You'll recall that the invitation to visit Curtin included a no proselytising clause. Now the centre started asking me to deal with people who wanted to become Christians and or be baptised. Do you see any irony in that? And because of this dilemma, I sat down with the management over lunch one day and it was agreed that if a person requested baptism, they would attend at least five sessions with me and then undergo a rather meticulous interview that in most cases required an official government interpreter to be present. Those who wanted to be baptised were required to to attend both the baptismal classes as well as the general Bible classes. So this now meant every Wednesday from 2 o'clock to 4pm these men sat eager to learn about Jesus for two hours and over a period of about three years I baptised 85 men. I have one of those men with me this morning and he will share a little at the end of this talk. For this to happen, I spent many days with countless different government interpreters to determine if those presenting for baptism were genuine and if in fact they'd become Christians. During these interviews it was my privilege to lead several of these men to Christ, always with the aid of an interpreter and sometimes even a Muslim interpreter. You had to take the interpreter that you were given. However, the interpreters had strict rules by which they had to operate and any departure from that, they would lose their job. They were the highest paid people in the detention centre. It was like fruit ready for the picking. I had one interpreter tell me 
at the end of two very long days of interviews, they were his best days of interpreting ever. Now I can hear you thinking if those, some of these men who wanted to be baptised, how come perhaps they were not already Christians? And that's a good question. They remind me of the man Jesus healed of blindness in Mark 8 and verse 22 to 25. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he laid and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. This story clearly illustrates the same situation that some of these men found themselves in. They knew what they wanted, they just didn't know how to get it. They needed a second touch. In each case, it was fruit ready for the picking. In each case, I explained as simply as possible the way of salvation. I read I had the interpreter read them scripture and they each prayed a prayer of confession, repentance and inviting Jesus into their heart. And each time I did this, it was through the interpreter. I'd love to say that all the interpreters made a commitment as well, but not yet. But many of the interpreters now know the way of salvation off by heart. I, can, I hope you can see the reason why I did not get involved in the politics of detention centres. I was given amazing support to do the work of evangelism in a situation where I was not supposed to proselytise. Can you work that one out? I even had government paid trauma counsellors refer men to me who they were not able to help. But perhaps the greatest encouragement was to hear that the administration acknowledged that the Bible studies had a calming effect on the whole centre and for that reason they were always glad to have me in the centre. For me to be able to write letters of support and remember of support and remember the stories of men who had become Christians through difficult circumstances or who wanted to become Christians and or be baptized, I had to keep notes. Every encounter was through an interpreter. Without the notes I would not have been able to do what I did. But after some time it struck me that I was in possession of some amazing stories. Nevertheless, I decided to draft a book about my experiences and my first idea for a title was Behind the Curtain. 
It was a play on words, using the name of the detention centre. However, I was soon to learn that the contentious issue of refugees becoming Christians needed a great deal of sensitivity and discretion. I thought the book was ready for publishing a few years ago. Well, fast forward a couple of years and three publishers later, the book's become an autobiography of how God can take an ordinary bloke and prepare him for a special ministry. The publishers decided to create a pictorial book of my life's story with the refugee stories being included as just another aspect of my life's ministry. For security reasons, Curtin is not mentioned anywhere in the book and names and minor details concerning the stories of the men who are mentioned are also changed to protect them. The restriction placed on Muslims by Islamist governments that you cannot change your religion is indisputable evidence that the belief system is not as good as the recipients are forced to believe. If it was perfect, why would so many of them want to change? The truth is that many are disillusioned about their religion but they are too fearful of taking any action as the consequences is death and that's a good enough reason to cause the clear majority to acquiesce to an intolerable dilemma. Friends, the real fruit of what has been achieved in Curtin through the Christian Bible classes can now be seen right around Australia. Most of the men who went through Curtin have been released into the community and for many of them their first priority after being settled was to find a Christian church. Many of them took my business card with my email and phone number on it and once settled they would phone me and I'd help them to find an asylum seeker friendly church. Sometimes that was a challenge and if I didn't find someone within a couple of days, some of these men got a little impatient, took matters into their own hands and walked into the first church they could find. Then I got phone calls from pastors that went something like this. I have Mohammed here with me. He says he knows you from Curtin. He wants to be baptised. What can you tell me about him? And my response was to say, well, I know about 20 Mohammeds. <laughs> and I would then encourage the pastor to befriend the man and to make him feel welcome in the church. And as for baptising him, well, that's now your responsibility. You see, sometimes men would attend all the baptismal classes and then be released just before their baptism could take place. And some of these men felt cheated. Hence on their release they would just walk into a church and expect to be baptised. 
It's been a, a privilege for me to facilitate well over 125 referrals to churches of various denominations in every state in Australia. There are Iranian fellowships springing up right across Australia, a New Hope Baptist Church here in Melbourne a few years ago had over 75 Iranians attending that fellowship. Many of those men came from Curtin. They now have their own ordained Iranian pastor. According to Operation World, a couple of years ago, Iran was the fastest growing evangelical population in any country in the world. And this trend is replicated where Iranians are living as expatriates or refugees. The second fastest growth is amongst Afghans, many of whom speak Dari, a close dialect of Farsi. Unfortunately, once the men left Curtin, it was not possible for me to keep tabs on or contact with all the men who'd gone through the centre. There are some with whom a very special relationship has developed, but because of the sheer numbers of men involved and the far-flung places where they have ended up, it's not been possible or feasible for me to stay in contact with all of them after they left Curtin. Nevertheless, I often receive text messages and emails from some of these men and I received this one from, uh, among others, at Christmas time. It went, may the peace and blessings of Christmas be yours and may the coming year be filled with happiness. Well, I sent him a response and he sent this reply back. Thanks, Pastor Darrell. I sent... I. Thanks, Pastor Darrell. My friends and I often talk about you too and remember good memories of you. You're so kind and I always said you're so good, patient to teach us about Bible. We had Bible study every week with you and I remember in beginning we were just you and me with no interpreter. <laughs> I can't remember that. <laughs> I often think about those days. God bless you, dear Daryl, and thanks for the prayers, brother. I wish all the best to you in the coming year. Our time pastoring the Broome Baptist Church and my ministry at Curtin has been a unique experience for Pam and I and one for which we truly praise God. We've been tremendously aware of the prayer support that we received from a select few people who we were able to take into our confidence during the period that I was attending the detention centre. But now that you know a little bit about this ministry, I invite you to please pray for these men, especially that they will continue in their walk with Christ and not fall away through temptation. They are precious in God's sight and they are part of God, the body of Christ. Sometime after we arrived back here in Melbourne, I received a phone call from one of the men who I had a lot to do with in Curtin. And he was surprised to find out that we were in Melbourne because that's where he lives. And we met for coffee, not far from here, and renewed our friendship. At the time, he was attending the Celebrate Messiah Church in Caulfield. This man could speak little English when I first knew him in Curtin. 
I looked up my notes and I found that I had baptised him on the 27th of October 2011 in the detention centre. In 2019, my wife Pam and I attended his marriage to a lovely Christian girl, Bonnie, not able to be with us today because their child is not well. I've asked Turaj if he would just share a few words and for you to hear it from the other side now. Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, say my name is Turaj, I'm from Iran and I came by boat to Australia, unfortunately. That wasn't the way that I aimed to it, but God wanted me to be here today. Uh, I come from background uh, Muslim, as not a strict Muslim family, but grew up in just a Muslim culture, Muslim family. And I never feel comfortable with Islam. I never understood, I never felt the peace of Islam and uh, their faith, uh, I found that always it's like something wrong with this faith. It's fake, you cannot have peace in it. And when I uh, was like teenager, just earlier teenager, I was just feel sick of Islam actually, to be, after I found out what's, uh, how their faith is doing with their act, it's not match at all. And in some point, I was asking God to give me power to kill all these Muslims. And, and I thought, oh God, I feel sick of Islam and everything about God. And I tried to find that, that there is no God that exists. Uh, in some, earlier in earlier my life, I uh, heard about Jesus through my grand, great-grandmother. And that there is, a, it's not in the Bible, they say Jesus healed. When they, people ask Jesus for do miracle, they, uh, he asked them to bring a live pigeon, cut this pigeon in two, four pieces, take each piece to the one side, like, east, like as far as they can. In front of the crowd, he called these four pieces, came together and became alive. And when I compare it to other prophets, I knew Jesus as a prophet, not as son of God. Uh, I found that he's the most powerful one. I want to know more about him. And when I did some researches, and when I had trouble actually, I was praying accidentally because I felt like he has more power. I just, I was praying, Jesus, you helped me to get this mess clean, whatever I done wrong on that time. And it's unbelievable, it's every time I pray in Jesus' name, without knowing him, my prayer got answered. And I thought, okay. Once I shared with one of my cousins, which is growing up in a capital city in Tehran, I said, are you praying in Jesus' name? And he said, no, why should I pray in Jesus' name? I said, oh, this is every time I do, my prayer answer. And he said, oh, you might be a Christian. And I said, oh, I, said, I have no idea about Christianity. I never heard this word even, honestly. I, I, I thought that all whole world, they are Muslim. That's all I knew. I thought that's one religious, one God, everything just the same. 
and say, no, this, this really, those, those people, they follow Bible, they call them, follow Jesus, they call them Christian, and they have a book, which is called Bible, and I say, oh, I want to, I want to, no, I want to read this book. And so he found a place when I was in holiday in in my grandma and uncle's house. He knew a place that they're selling Bible under the table because you can't sell it on the counter. They're not putting it in the shelf, but they can sell it New Testament. You just go there, they can sell it to some people. So when I ask for the Bible, when I read it, I read these verses from uh, Luke, this saying, ask in my name, I will give it to you. And I said, oh, I have this experience with him. I already asked in his name and he gave it to me. So, after a long, I don't want to make long, after I read the Bible, I decided to, I want to know more about God. I want to leave Iran because Everywhere you go, I never felt comfortable in this country. I went, I traveled around Iran everywhere. I thought, okay, place change, it's my change. I, I did everything, I couldn't get peace. And so I decided, and at the same time, I had this, I had this one in my heart that God gave me a gift that I want to know him, I want to I know him. At the same time, I had a heart for Israel. And all time I want to I want to go to Israel, but in Iran is that's like end of everything. That's all the red lights you pass if you talk about Israel and you have a heart for Israel. So I left home to go to church to know Jesus and go. To, if I have opportunity, I can go to Israel. God brought me here, took me to Christmas Island. We meet Daryl. Through Daryl, I meet the true love. From God, Jesus' love. I read more about him. I feel the, I understand more him. I try to re- reduce or heal from that all those hatred to Muslim. In a state, praying, I came to the point to pray for him sometime. And so I became a believer. I got baptized, and my life completely changed. When I, when I was, I remember when I was on the boat, the, the night we got onto, onto the boat, after 10, 15 minutes, it was dark, about 8 o'clock, and like, I felt, I was seasick, and I felt like, this is the end of the world, I'm dying. Um, I just, like, I couldn't stand on the boat, the boat was a small boat, it was just shaking like crazy, it was going backward, forward, and I felt sick. I just lie down, I put my head on the floor, and I say, Jesus, if you want me to die, I am ready to die today. I want your will happen. Whatever is going to happen, I didn't know that I'm going to be alive. I didn't know that I'll be here today. But you can't believe it. I don't remember anything about it after that until the last day. I ate nothing. I drink hardly. I drink a little bit of water. Until the last day, some people told me that, oh, Christmas Island, we can see Christmas Island from here. So he comforted me all that three days and three nights on the water and took me to Christmas Island and after that one to Kirt. Jesus done a lot in my life. He blessed me a lot. He gave me the peace that I was looking for it. 
And when, the, when I came to, when I got out of the detention center, as I said, God, there was huge, I have a big heart for Israel. Still, I love it. I love them and just, I don't know. It was in my heart the same way that I was seeking to know Jesus. I went to Sydney for one month. I was supposed to go to church that Daryl brought in law, yeah? To go to the church, but I left the day that they want me to go. I left to, I came to Melbourne. The first or second day, I met a, a lady called Roya. She was working among uh, Iranian people in Dandino. And she took me to this church, which is called Messianic Celebrate Messiah. They have a background Jewish. They believe in Jesus. And when I walked there, to me was Israel and church at the same place, which always I want to be. And I say, God, what else do you want me to want to show me that I know that I'm on right right place? I am on your hand, and your promise never change. And when I remember this thing, I think of God's uh, promise to Abraham that He say my covenant covenant never change my plan. Whoever bless you, I will bless. Whoever bless your people, I will bless. So he blessed me a lot, and he he done a great job to me. And I'm here with my wife. Unfortunately, he's not here. We have a little boy. Oliver is 18 months. He's been sick last couple couple of days, unfortunately. And he done a great job to me. And I'm so thankful and grateful that I'm here. That I had the opportunity to meet Daryl and lead to God and feel and see his love and and everything that he'd done for me. Thank you so much for having me in Australia and have this opportunity to be free and, you know, and feel the love. Thanks to Raj. The lady I think he mentioned um, introduced her, him to her daughter. Is that right? Is that... And that's uh, <clears throat> who became his wife. Um, not very many women go around looking for husbands for their daughters, do they? <laughs> but uh, it's been a lovely situation. I just want to finish now. Uh, thank you for the opportunity of sharing this story. You may be interested to know that I, uh, what much of what I have shared has been included in a book which I referred to earlier, and I just happen to have a few of those books with me. Um, they cost $20 and they contain many humorous stories from church life. They're full of photographs, uh, many double-page spreads and several folk have said they make a good coffee table book. The publishers decided to, as I mentioned, create a, a pictorial book of my life's story and the refugee experiences have been included as just another aspect of my life and as I said earlier again, Curtin is not mentioned in the book and the names of the people who I mentioned uh, and finer details about the people have been changed just to protect them in case the book ends up in the wrong hands. Thank you for this opportunity this morning.